Hello, uh, blessings in Jesus, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. A couple uh, comments I have to say before our study, kind of like uh, uh, church announcements. Uh, keep praying for the church fellowship that we can uh, hopefully be able to gather uh, soon. Keep praying for a uh, new location, you know, that the uh, Lord's will be done. Kind of a crazy days that we're living in with government restrictions, but just uh, stay in prayer, you know, keep, keep in prayer. Uh, another uh, announcement is regarding the uh, annexation. It was supposed to happen on July 1st. Supposedly, it's delayed for a week. They got to uh, uh, bump some things with the Trump administration. Uh, it's very interesting because on the day before the official announcement was going to be made, uh, there was actually two days before Israel made an announcement. Uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, he made an announcement with the, uh, uh, in alignment with Benny Gantz as well. Remember, they have the uh, dual ruling authority, the dual role in, as uh, 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 prime minister of Israel. Uh, but they had a warning to Assad uh, because what's happening in Syria is that the, Syria is allowing uh, Iranian activity in Syria. And so Israel gave them a, a very, very strong warning. Uh, and also with the support of the U.S. Um, so Israel has the U.S.'s backing. But then the day before uh, uh, the uh, July 1st uh, annexation announcement, tr uh, uh, Russia made an announcement. Uh, Putin, you know, has formed its coalition with Iran, Syria, and Turkey, and they gave a strong warning to Israel, like, you know, if you do this, then this is how we're going to respond. It's very interesting what's happening now in the, 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 the neighborhood of the Middle East, the Israel and her neighbors. These nations, uh, 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 Russia, Iran, Syria, Turkey, these are nations that are specifically mentioned in the book of uh, uh, Ezekiel in chapter 38 the last days uh, nations that come against Israel and, and this coalition that comes against Israel. These are nations that are specifically mentioned. It's very important to understand these days in which we live. And regarding the annexation, which, you know, it, it could be pushed back for a week. So it's like, you know, on the cusp of happening. These are all things that the United Nations, the European Union, uh, the Vatican, uh, Fatah, which is uh, the Palestinian Authority, this is kind of their uh, 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 one of their bodies within the PA, Hamas, and then also the United States Democratic Party, uh, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer, all the, the heavy hitters, the, 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 the main body of the U.S. Democratic Party, they're against this annexation, Israel annexation, Israel sovereignty, um, which is directly against what the Bible says must and will happen. So, you know, abortion aside, there you know the, the the US Democrat Party is against scripture in a new way, you know. It's I shouldn't say in a new way cuz there's it the writing's been on the wall for for decades now. You know, throw in abortion and it's just like, you know, it's it's kind of it's obvious. I try not to get political, but you know, you can't you can't avoid politics. You really can't avoid politics in the days that we live, you know. Politics being, you know, what how we, we live on this earth, religion being, you know, I say religion, but, you know, faith in Jesus Christ. I don't mean religion like, you know, religion at all. I mean, our faith in Jesus Christ governing our conduct here on this earth as people who are just passing by. You know, it's very interesting that, that this collision is happening. It's really forcing the church, the church to make some hardcore decisions. You know, pray hardcore for your pastors. Pray hardcore for the pastors and church communities around you. 
because it's very, very difficult days in which we live. You know, troubling times, perilous times. These are all things that are prophesied against. And when, when uh, the, our faith in Jesus Christ comes against governing bodies, we're going to have to make some hardcore choices, straight up like in the book of Acts. You know, where you know, the government can impose rule number one, rule number two, rule, rule number three. But what happens when the rules of governing authorities prevent us or attempt to prevent us from fulfilling the word of God? You know, we're going to have to make some hardcore choices and possibly to include going underground, going into an underground mode, you know, and be like, you know, uh, um, um, uh, operators, you know, you have operators that work in, you know, very secret circles and it's to be like that, to be wise fishermen. You know, on top of that, you know, the month of July is a very, very heavy month in satanic activity. It's kind of like one of their holiday months in, in Satanism where they have their blood rituals, uh, child sex rituals, kidnapping, uh, kidnapping, sacrifice, preparation for human sacrifice. You see a lot of, I mean, if you're walking down the street and you see like a, a cat's head that's chopped off or, you know, like a little dog's head that's chopped off, you know, or like you go in the farm communities, you see... Uh, sheep and horses, cows that are chopped. It's an offering to Satan is what they're doing. July is a heavy month for that activity, you know, to include, you know, kidnapping, uh, child kidnapping, child uh, uh, sex rituals. Uh, and it's all leading up to, uh, you know, the end of July is kind of like a, a, a sacrifice as an offering to Satan. So Satan, you know, he tries to emulate what, what the Word of God says. You know, the Word of God says, you know, that, you know, the, uh, blood is a, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 substitution, the animal uh, in the Old Testament, the animal blood is a substitution, you know, life for life. You know, it, 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 it's like your sin in the Old Testament transfers from a person to the animal. And that's how a person is right, you know, with the Lord. But then as new covenant believers, our sin transfers from us to Jesus Christ. Well, Satan tries to copy that, except he says, no, it's going to be your blood. It's going to be you know, he's a copycat. Just like in the last days, there's the, you know, the, 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 uh, the devil, uh, the false prophet, and then also uh, uh, the Antichrist. It's kind of like a, a mock-up of, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tries to emulate. Foe. It's all fake. It's very interesting days that we live in. The rise of, you see, lawlessness. Lawlessness abounds. It's everywhere you look. Even in the house of God. Lawlessness even in the house of God. What does the Bible tell us? Judgment comes first in the house of God. You know, don't be afraid. You know, these are these are these are days of the warrior. You know, we have to fight the good fight. And you know, we learn from scripture, the Lord teaches us. So these are just some kind of an announcements, you know, it's kind of like uh uh, uh where we're at prophetically. You know, we're kind of like at the cusp of this annexation, which this annexation I want to say in my opinion, but when I say my opinion, I'm not just saying, you know, in my opinion and pulling it out of my hat. I say in my opinion, based on what we read in Scripture, based on what we understand from Scripture, I say in my opinion, this is all leading up to the beginning of the final seven years of world history. And, you know, there might come a time I say, okay, you know, this is, you know, it's going to be another 10 years. It might be another 100 years. It might be another 1,000 years. We don't know. But based on what we see, the converging of all these events the rise of lawlessness. I mean, you look at things that are going on in the world, not just the United States, but the world. And the world is aching for a man with a plan and a man of peace. 
you know, who speaks peacefully, but his heart is like a dragon. You know, the Bible says that's the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist, this person who will come in peaceably. We won't know for sure who it is until, you know, the final or the midpoint of the seven year, the final seven years, the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel. We won't know. But you start to see the buildup. Things are starting to amp up. It's wild, wild days that we live in. So, you know, if you turn, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And look what happens here. It says, after these things, this is another metatauta. You remember when we did our study in Revelation, we saw all the metatautas, you know, after these things, after these things, after these things. And you see John's vision number one, vision number two, vision after vision after vision. And it's not chronological. You know, we're going to talk about that more as we get, you know, there might come a time as we get further into these days where it's like, okay, we're going to take a pause on things and really, really do a hardcore study on the events of the last days as a roadmap for us as Christians, how to navigate through these times, you know, our conduct through these times to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. It's very important for the last days believer, for the last days Christian, the last days warrior, the last days fighter. You know, not to, you know, head for the hills and run like little scaredy cats. It's to engage and stay fully engaged, but also wise, not stupid. And you see all these metatautas here in, 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 in Revelation, when we did our study in Revelation. And John was given this vision, metatauta, metatauta, metatauta. And that's what we see right here in verse 1. Metatauta. It doesn't necessarily mean a specific, you know, the events of the last days saying like, you know, metatauta. A lot of people like to tie metatauta specifically to uh, 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 eschatology, which you can't do that. Because here we here see not even in, you know, in any close proximity to Revelation time frame wise. Here you see a metatauta. There's no correlation time frame wise to the book of Revelation. I mean we here in this day and age testify of that fact 2,000 years, give or take a couple of years. So here you have a metatauta. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. You see? Corinth. We're seeing the very, very beginning, the birth of a small fellowship. Paul went from Athens, and what does he do? He goes to Corinth. You see how beautiful this is? It's like, wow. I mean, First and Second Corinthians are some of my favorite books. I have, I, I have a lot of my favorite books in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite passages. But when I think about the church in Corinth, it, it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for the church today because you read the first couple chapters of First Corinthians, and what do you see? A very messed up church, carnal church. You remember so much so that there was a guy who was having sexual relations with his dad's wife. Sexual relations. And they would go into church and just, you know, praise the Lord, sing hallelujah. And you think from the, from the outside, you think like, wow, look at these people worshiping the Lord. And Paul finds out about it and he writes a letter to the church and says, hey, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. That's what he says straight up. You know, you go to church and you think you're having a fine time, you know. And, you know, from the onset, outside, looking in, it seems that way. But what's going on in your hearts? Paul says, you know what? You need to take that guy and kick him out of the church because a little leaven leavens the bunch. He says, it's so bad. You know, not even the heathen do these things. 
I mean, look at the things that happens inside a church, and a lot of it dealing with sex and drugs. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. That's why when I specifically mention certain, you know, uh, uh, forms of idolatry, I specifically mention sex, drugs, and alcohol. Because those are, those are some of the heavy hitters that are coming against the church. Christians that have problems with these things. Sexual addictions, drug addictions, alcohol addictions. You know, those, those are some of the heavy ones. There's other ones. There's other forms of idolatry. But I specifically mentioned these for a purpose because it was a big problem in the early church and it's a big problem in the last day's church. Huge problem. And Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth and he says, look, you go outside the church, look at the heathen, the people who don't even believe and what's happening inside the church is disgusting to even them. It's like they don't even talk about it. That's how gross it is. And yet it's happening in the church. Look at what's happening in the church today. With regard to sex, with regard to pastors who have, you know, wife number one, maybe wife number two, but then they have, you know, uh, uh, fling number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the side. I don't even call those guys pastors. I call them wolves. I call them hirelings, elders in the same boat. You know, the Bible teaches us about conduct for oneself. Conduct for the church. Say, oh, don't judge me. I got in a big argument with somebody recently, very recently. You know, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. It's like, well, you know, let's read the Bible. When the Lord says, you know, take the the plank out of your own eye before you tell somebody about, uh, you know, a, a, a little speck in theirs. He doesn't say, you know, let the person have a speck in their eye. He says, take the plank out of your own eye first. Don't be a hypocrite is what he's saying. And when you do that, then you're able to correct another brother. And the word is specifically judge. There's three different forms of the word judge. Judge is to condemn and, you know, say you're going to go to hell. The Bible says you can't do that. I can't tell another person, hey, you're going to burn in hell. I can tell a person, well, you know, you're on the path to hell. But I can't say, you know, thus saith the Lord, you will burn in hell. I can't. You know, if somebody doesn't, isn't walking with Christ, doesn't have a relationship with Christ, is a Buddhist, I can say, well, the Bible says if you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to burn in hell. That's the bad news. The good news, Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. God loves you. That's the good news. And it blows me away so much because it's like, you know, I had this argument with the guy, you know, he's like, oh, you, the Bible says this, you can't, and it's like, you know, more people jumped on his side, you know, oh, the Bible says this. So we had this huge conversation. It doesn't say, you know, don't judge, and remember three forms of the judgment, I, I can't tell a person you're going to burn in hell, like, okay, thus saith the Lord, you will burn in hell. You know, where's the hope for that person? And that's, you know, a, a, a crino. But then there's anacrino and diacrino in the Greek. Anacrino and diacrino. You know, that is to judge. It's to make an assessment, to make a determination. And that's what Jesus writes about. That's what Jesus spoke about. You know, and it was written by uh, 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 Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Jesus spoke about it. He's, he doesn't say, you know, don't correct another brother. He doesn't say, don't refrain from doing that. He says, do it. But before you do it, take the plank out of your own eye. Take the big two by four, the big block out of your own eye. And once you've done that, then you're able to see clearly. 
And then you're able to tell another brother, hey, you know what? If you want to beat on your wife and cheat on your wife, if you want to have a girlfriend, you know, be married and have fling number, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, go on your little dating apps. Nobody knows about it. And if you think you're going to get away with it, you're not. Such people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Oh, don't judge me. Wait, wait a second. What about the person who's taken the plank out of their own eye? That person, male or female, is biblically equipped, biblically able, biblically authorized to correct, to make an assessment, to make a determination, and to correct biblically. Wild, wild days that we're living in. And what gives me hope when I read the, the letters to the church in Corinth is that you have this messed up carnal church. All due respect to the Lord. It's His church. But you see like, whoa, look at all this stuff that's going on. This division in the church. You know, all this sexual stuff going on in the church. And praise the Lord for Chloe's household. Praise the Lord that Chloe, you know, wrote a letter. It says, hey, Paul, there's some stuff going on in the church. How many people today would, you know, oh, you know, don't gossip. Chloe's a gossiper. She's gossiping. Gossiping isn't good, so don't do it. No, what Chloe was doing is that she was also, you know, she had taken the plank of her own eye as well. She was biblically able to correct, except what she did, she called for reinforcement. She called for Paul. Paul, there's this stuff going on in the church. Paul caught wind of it and wrote a letter. Your rejoicing isn't good, you guys. Take this guy and kick him out of the church. Let Satan have him for the destruction of the flesh. And I used to have a hard time with that concept. Like, what? You know, commit such a guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? And then you get to 2 Corinthians and Paul writes back to the church and says, Okay, take this brother and bring him back in. It's, it, it, it might be so unbearable for him. Bring him back in. A period of time of correction where the, you know, someone is you know, cast into the wilderness. Kind of like in the Old Testament where you know the, the law of uncleanness. You know, unclean, unclean, and you go out of the camp. And you're there for a period of time and then you come back, you know, and somebody has to make sure you're clean. That's in the law. But a very similar concept of being unclean. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. Old Testament and New Testament. I'm not advocating the law. I'm just giving an example from the law. Because it's a shadow of the things to come. Things in the New Covenant. You see, and I always had a hard time. Like, what do you mean commit such a brother to Satan? And I think I've said this before. I probably said it multiple times. But as I get older, I tend to repeat myself a lot. Because that's what old people do. But there was this guy I heard. And he was a former homosexual. He was, you know, he grew up, he was a young kid, wasn't a homosexual. He was kind of a nerd. And, you know, he was groomed. Some creep got near him, got close to him somehow and groomed him. You know, all his friends, he didn't have any friends in school. He was a nerd, but there was this guy and he was grooming him for homosexuality, homo homosexual activity. And then all of a sudden, the guy got the kid got sucked into it. He left his home, left his. He was in the church. He left it. All his parents, his, you know, people in the church, they were saying, "Hey, you know, stay in the church. You know, don't don't mess around with this stuff." He said, "I'll oh, forget you guys." And he went out, started doing all kinds of sexual sin, homosexual sin, and then he got bit. He got AIDS. And then all of a sudden, he was HIV positive. He's on his deathbed, and somebody made a video. He says, "You know what? I'm dying." And I, I want to, you know, proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I was a fool. I didn't listen. I didn't repent. When I had all this opportunity to repent, I didn't do it. And I've done it now. 
I've done it now. And yeah, you know, he's, he, he's, the destruction of the flesh, that he's, that's his testimony, the destruction of the flesh. He was dying on his deathbed. But yet, I call him a brother. And I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to embrace him one day and tell him that I love him. And how his witness, his testimony, it helped me, encouraged me in my own walk with Christ. You see? That's what the Bible speaks. I used to wonder, like, what do you mean the destruction of the flesh? Well, you know, you see this, this guy, his witness, his testimony, and the Holy Spirit is like, wow, I get it now. And that's what's so beautiful about the church in Corinth, carnal to spiritual. You know, here we're seeing the very, the, the beginning, very hardcore spiritual because you see the birth of this church in Corinth. But then something happens in the course of time. They start to decay the church in Corinth. Carnality creeps in. And then you have somebody like Paul who writes a letter to the church to correct them. Nobody's, there's no corrective people in the church today. The church at large, you know, I, I, even uh, Elijah thought he was like, man, there's nobody. Where is it? Where are the people who were stand for God? And he thought he was all alone. But remember, you, you know, you, 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 you read the account of Elijah and the Lord says, Elijah, there are 7,000 people here. 7,000 of my people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000. He was telling him straight up, you're not alone, Elijah. You feel like you're alone, but in actuality, you're not alone. And that might, be, that might be you today, beloved Christian. You might feel alone. But how many people have not bowed to knee to Baal? How many people have not bowed the knee to Satan? People you don't know. Be of good cheer, be of good courage, of strong courage. Here you see the very... Paul sets foot in Corinth. We, you know, we have the full counsel of the word of God. We're spoiled. The last day's church is very spoiled. You know, it's kind of interesting. You start to, you know, when like the 90s, you know, the 90s and then the internet age, people getting their emails and, you know, like in 1997, you know, you have AOL or the, I forgot what they called it, all these things in the internet age. People say, oh yeah, the age of information and how much more it is. And you know, each decade passes, here we are in 2020, how much more the age of information. But I got something to tell you. In this age of information, it's like the dumbest generation we've ever had. Straight up dumbest generation we've ever had. It tells me that ignorance is a choice. Ignorance is a choice. It gives me hope. The, the, the letters of the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians it gives me hope for the last day's church. Because you see the church in 1 Corinthians and then towards the end of 1 Corinthians, they're corrected. They read Paul's letter and instead of saying, oh, Paul, this Paul, he's so dumb. What do they do? They love Paul so much. They trust him so much. Like, you know what? Paul is right, you guys. Let's repent. And then Paul teaches them more about spiritual warfare. Fighting, staying strong in the faith, remaining strong in the faith, to encourage the church. And here you have Paul stepping foot in Corinth. Beautiful, beautiful Corinth. The birth of a very, very small fellowship, you know, at the onset. So let's look at verse 2 here. Verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. Aquila, a beautiful, beautiful man. Born of Pontius. 
You know, Pontius is in, in uh, a modern-day Turkey, south of the, of the Black Sea, who had recently come from Italy. Interesting. So, you know, like, you know, Pontius to Italy. And here he is with his wife, Priscilla, a beautiful, beautiful lady in the Lord. Aquila and Priscilla, this is a very, very lovely couple. I'm so in love with this, this couple, husband and wife duo. You know, it's like they're married and it's like they're on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord. They fear the Lord and the Lord uses them. You're going to see Aquila and Priscilla. You're going to see them mentioned all throughout the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament. And here you are. Here you have their introduction right here. Paul steps foot into Corinth and he finds a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, remember Claudius was the Caesar, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. This is the diaspora of the Jews. Remember in, uh, 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 after Stephen was killed in like uh, the end of chapter, I want to say seven, it could be eight, but my memory escapes me. In the end of Chapter 7, he was killed. And then in chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church was at Jerusalem. So that was the diaspora of the church of the Christians. But among the Jews, there was a diaspora. Among the Jews, they were kicked out of Rome. You know, because politically, remember what, what's happening here is, this is in 51 A.D., when uh, the command was given by Claudius Caesar to get the Jews out of Rome, to get to say, hey, you guys are out of here. We're expelling you. Because politically, there was political, hardcore political division with the Jews, uh, Rome and uh, Romans and the Jewish. And, you know, so much so that, you know, about 20 years later, 19 years later, was the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD. You know, so the, the buildup to it is like, it's, it's getting more intense. It's intensifying. And the Christians were even worse. You know, the Jews hated the Christians and, and then the Romans hated the Christians. You know, at large, you know, I shouldn't, you know, kind of like a macrocosm. You know, a microcosm would be, you know, the Lord was, they were making great gains microcosmically. Uh, 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 microcosmically. They were making gains. And so you have this diaspora of the Jews. It's, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, all these things, it was, it was so much worse for the Christian. But yet what's happening here is, you know, the Lord is saving people. People are being saved. People are coming to Christ. People are renouncing both Jew and Greek. They're renouncing their religion. They're renouncing uh, Judaism. They're renouncing, you know, whatever religious religion they have. Like, you know what Paul was with the, you know, in the Athenians when he was in Athens last week in chapter 17. The God of this, God of that, God of that. And then some people, they were like, you know what? I'm denying these. And Paul, tell me more. I believe in this Jesus Christ you preach. Remember the chapter, verse 34 of chapter 17? There was Dionysus, the Aeropagite, and Damaris. A woman named Damaris. You see how beautiful this is? It's like, you know, uh, the, the multitude. Yeah, you know what? There's uh, even among the multitude, you know, the, the Lord is still at work. And I say that as encouragement for the last day's church. Because, you know what? It, it seems like this 
darkness, which is all encompassing. It's like, whoa, it's everywhere. And I say, you know, praise be to the Lord. That means we can fight in any direction. When you feel surrounded, rejoice because it means you can fight in any direction. You don't have to pinpoint, you know. You can just, any direction, pick, you know, pray, and the Lord will direct you. It's very interesting, these examples we have in the Bible. And then, so look what happens here in verse 3. So, because he was of the same trade. So, Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, you know, they were in the same business, the same line of work. It would be like, have you ever walked into a town or walked into, I don't know, wherever you walk into, and you meet somebody from the first time, and it's like, you know, have a little chit-chat, some small talk. What kind of, what, what line of work are you in? You know, you meet somebody for the first time. Hey, how you doing? My name is, you know, they tell you your name, and they tell you their name, and then like, it's like, oh, cool. You know, nice to meet you. You know, you, you want to sit down and have a Coke? Let's talk. You sit down. Oh, what, what line of work are you in? That's what was happening here with Paul. He steps foot into Corinth. And what I call this? A divine appointment. The Lord is arranging. The Lord is choreographing. And so look what happens here in verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. So he straight up lived with them. Different cultures that we live in today, the last day's age, you know, it's you have to be very careful who you bring into your home in the last days. You know, you have to let the Lord direct you. You know, and sometimes, you know, you hear these stories, you know, somebody comes into church and shows them the love of God and then all of a sudden it's like it chips away at their heart, which indeed it can happen. But you got to make sure you're prayed up. You need to make sure that the Lord is directing and guiding your steps. Because, you know, don't tempt God. Don't tempt God. You know, a lot of people, you know, just like Satan told Jesus Christ, you know, uh, jump from the top of this roof, jump from the, 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 the pinnacle of this, uh, t- of this synagogue and land on the, or, and come to the ground. And biblically, he says, it is written, the angels will bring you down safely. And Jesus said, it is also written. Very interesting how Satan uses scripture because he knows the Bible. And then the Lord says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. How many people do that? How many people do you hear say that all the time? Oh, yeah, you know, I have the faith, so you know what? This is going to happen. I'll leave my doors unlocked at night. Yeah, I have faith. You know, God will protect me. You know, I have faith. The Bible says this, so, you know, the Bible says God will protect me, so God's going to protect me. I'll drive without a seatbelt on. Oh, yeah, God will protect me. You know, I don't need sunscreen. You know, God will protect me. I'm going to walk through, you know, these rattlesnakes. God will protect me. It is written. Don't forget what Jesus, you know, that's what Satan said to Jesus Christ to try to get him to fall. I wonder if there's an entity out there that's trying to get you to fall. You know, if you're going to lean hardcore on that, not to say you can't lean on the word of God. You can't lean on a verse. You can't lean on a chapter. You can't lean on a book. You can certainly lean on it. But don't forget, there's more. More is written. Just like Jesus says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's why in the days of the uh, coronavirus, you know, you see a news article, a pastor says, oh, yeah, we're going to have church. We're going to have church, you know, and the Lord, you know, we have faith. If we have faith, then the Lord will heal us. None of us are going to get sick. A week later, everybody's sick. Two weeks later, the pastor's dead. What kind of witness is that? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You have to be wise. I've gotten a lot of flack, you know, from different people, from different circles and different environments. 
you know, that's weak. You know, you're supposed to be a strong pastor. You're supposed to stand for this. You're supposed to fight for this. Okay, but you know what? I like to fight, but I want to fight on my knees. I want to fight on my face before the Lord. Lord, what will you have me do? What will you have me do for this fellowship? I don't have the blueprints, Lord. You have the blueprints. I want to hear from you, Lord. How will you direct our steps? How will you guide us? Not guide us so we have to, you know, come out with our rifles and fully loaded and start blowing people away. But Lord, how will you guide us to where there's going to be like, you know, Goshen for your people. You know, it's wild, wild days that we live in. And to be honest with you, to be frank, if I can be candid, I think the majority are ill-equipped and not ready in the church. The large majority are not ready for the events of the last days. And you talk to Christians like, oh yeah, we're going to be raptured out of here, so let it just, you know, go to hell, you know. And literally, you know, because you read the, uh, you know, when Satan is, you know, uh, 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 he knows his time is short. Just let the world burn. We're going to be out of here. It's like, well, wait a second. Let's let's see what this study what the Bible says. Let's study exactly what the Bible says so that we can have a, you know blueprints, a map to follow. And who's the one that will have a compass? You know, it's such a trip. It's so beautiful what's happening here. This joining up with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And you know what? It says that he stayed with Paul, stayed with them. He lived with them. And he worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. That was their job. So they said, oh, you know, how you doing? My name is Paul. Oh, good. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Aquila. Here, meet my wife, Priscilla. We're tent makers. Oh, you're a tent? You guys are tent makers? Me too. I'm also a tent maker. You shoot the breeze, the connection's made, and boom, the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful relationship. Beautiful Paul, beautiful Priscilla, beautiful Aquila, and it's like, boom, Aquila and Priscilla, married, beautiful, beautiful marriage, equally yoked, it's like, boom, 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 the stars are aligning, so to speak, beautiful, beautiful, it blows me away so much, and I love it. You know, you see all this opposition in the book of Acts. Literal opposition, like, you know, harm to the body. But then opposition, like, satanically, demonically. But then erase all that. And, you know, not, not that you can easily erase all that. Because it's, you know, a shock to the system. But you erase all that, you know. You look above that. Kind of like, you know, you fly out in a plane. You go up and you're in the clouds on a rainy day. You know, and you see all the, you can't see anything. Because you're in the cloud and you get to a certain altitude and boom, you see the sunlight. Clear as day, you know, clear skies, no clouds because you're above the clouds. So like, look what, in the clouds, you know, in, in this fog, like the fog of war, you see the muck, you see the dirt, you see casualties, you see the wounded. And you also see the missing in action. You know, the hirelings who go out and, you know, they run away because they're scared. Missing in action. Because they're scaredy cats, they're chicken. And so what happens? It's like, man, you know, it's like you clear all this opposition and you see beauty. What is it? 
souls. Look at beautiful Paul. Look at beautiful Philip. Look at beautiful Aquila. Look at beautiful uh, Damaris. Look at beautiful Timothy. Beautiful uh, grandma. Timothy's grandma. Grandmama. His beautiful, beautiful mom. And the beautiful dad. There's not a lot written about his dad. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll throw him in there. <laughs> but you see all these beautiful people. I love it so much. Male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter. Old grandma, young Timothy. You see, young, old. It doesn't matter. Because the Lord looks at the heart. He sees the heart. And so look what happens here in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Remember, that was his custom to go in the synagogue, to straight up go into the hornet's nest. And persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Paul persuaded them. He convinced them, just like we saw in the previous chapters. We saw his, his blueprints that he followed. Going into the synagogue and reasoning with the Jews and the believing Greeks. Both Jew and Gentile, Paul convinced them, just like we see here in verse 4. It's, that was his custom. And we even looked last week because he loves the Jews. He has such a heart for the Jews. His people, his brethren. You know, of the flesh. Because he was a Jew. And it says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, a little late, you know, I'll say they were a little late. You know, remember in chapter 17, verse 15 last week, when Paul got off the boat, he was dropped off in Athens. And then he tells the, the captain of the boat, he says, hey, go back and tell Silas and Timothy to hurry up. Tell them to hurry and come meet me in Athens. So they're a little late. You know, Athens is over now. <laughs> Corinth is a little bit west of Athens, about 50 miles west of Athens. You know, proper. So, you know, it could be like 30 miles, 40 miles, the outskirts, maybe even 20 miles, 15 miles, if I'm a little bit generous. But, you know, proper, it's about 50 miles. So Silas and Timothy, you know, they came from Macedonia. They're a little late. You know, a little, uh, a little uh, shout out to those who are tardy sometimes, you know. Silas and Timothy, it's biblical. Sometimes it says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. You see how beautiful this is. Paul, what's happening? The Lord is, is guiding him, but like straight up in control, compelled by the Spirit. You know, it's, you know, sometimes it, it's not that I want to be carnal in saying things. I just want to, uh, I want to be open. I want to be an open book with you guys. But I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. When people always say God is in control, it's one of my pet peeves. Because, you know, he surely is control. He, he is in control. He, he, biblically, the Bible says that. But when people say, oh yeah, God is in control. It's to say, then, you know, what's up with your pornography? You know, what's up with your crack? Uh, what, what's up with this cocaine? What's up with, you know, the hard liquor? And people, oh, yeah, it's okay. God is in control, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's like, okay, well, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. You better worry about it. Because these are things that are idols. They're hindering your walk. They're hindering your understanding. They're hindering your ability to understand holy and unholy. Just like we studied on Wednesday from Leviticus 10. Verse 
These are things that are taking control of your mental faculties. And when they do take control of your mental faculties, are you able to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Straight up, are you able to do that? Yeah, God is in control. But you're not even in control of your own life. You know what's in control of your life? Your crack, your cocaine, your sex addiction, your alcohol, your vodka. That's what's in control. You have given over control to these idols. That's my pet peeve. You say, oh yeah, God is in control. God, Yeah, he is in control. But you, you, you have a certain element of control over your own choices. You have to choose to honor him. We're not created as robots. You know, rendering obedience to the Lord, yielding to him, yielding to the word of God. That's what we see such a beautiful example here in Paul. Remember, the Bible says that certain people are given as examples, as like patterns. Like, you know, cookie cutters. Not that we're all the same, but you know, you have certain examples like a, a mold of what to follow. Such is the case with Paul. There are... There are... Five men in my life, men who I love dearly, who are molds that the Lord has graciously given me. Molds graciously allowed me to be under for a certain period of time. Five men, molds. Of those five, two are like hardcore. They are straight up molds, like cast iron molds. Two, only two. Sometimes you hear me say like, you know, we when we started our study in Timothy and uh, Paul took Timothy, you know, what parent? You know, you think of his beautiful dad, his beautiful mom, beautiful grandma. What parent would say, oh yeah, take my little Timmy. What parent would say that? In today's age, it'd be crazy. But you erase the minutia, the filth of the days that we live in and rewind and go back to these times. Not to say that there was no filth in those times. There certainly was. But look at the heart of Paul. Look at the heart of, you know, his dad, his, uh, Timothy's mom, Timothy's grandma, Timothy's dad. Look at their hearts to say, okay, you know what? We've trained up Timothy as much as we can. We can't do it anymore. We've, written, we've kind of capped out. We've reached our limitations based on our understanding of Scripture. But Timothy... You know, let's go. We're going to come. I'm going to talk to Paul. Hey, Paul. It's been prophesied that our son is going to, you know, he's going to be used of the Lord. Maybe be a pastor one day. And, you know, I've taught him the ways of the Lord. I've taught him to love the Lord. I've taught him to fear the Lord. But I don't know the Bible like you. I don't know scripture like you. Paul, can you take beautiful Timothy under your wing? Paul says, yeah. Yeah. I will. And for the parent to like, you know, hug little Timothy, mom, dad, hug little Timothy, grandmama, hug little Timmy and say, bye son, bye grandbaby. And all of a sudden walk into the distance with Paul. Knowing that Timothy's, you know, you're not fearful like, oh man, you know, Paul's going to do this to my kid. You know, I, it, ugh, I hate saying that. I, I, I want to erase it from my mind. But that's the world that we live in today. That's the world straight up that we live in today. 
but these two men in my life. If I had a child, you know, son or even a daughter, I would say, hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm kept out, you know, and, you know, and, you know, this was like before, I, I don't want to boast in saying this, but, you know, the Lord has taught me a lot from his word. So maybe like 10 years ago, I'd go to these guys and say, hey, guys, you know, I'm capped out. Can you take my son? Can you take my daughter to like to train them? Because, you know, it's been prophesied that he or she's going to be in ministry. Can you take them? There are only two men that I can say that of. The other three, I told you I have five guys as mold. The other three, a uh, little, um, they're molds, but uh, they're not hardcore molds. They're like little tin molds, tin molds, you know. But they straight up cast iron molds. And of the two, uh, one's cast iron with uh, uh, Chinese iron. And, you know, one's cast iron with straight up American steel. Like straight up, boom. Like, So there's really just one. Eh, there's five, but, you know, a couple are, you know, three or ten. One's uh, Chinese steel and the other's American cast iron steel. You know, it's like, boom, this is awesome. And I don't want to boast when I say like, you know, like now, would I do that? I said like 10 years ago I would. Because in the last 10 years, the Lord has really, you know, by His grace, by His mercy, by His love, He has, you know, shown me these things that kind of expanded my understanding of Scripture. You know, I don't know why. You know, the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You know, and you know, so if there's ever a time in your life where you want to boast of knowledge you have in the Lord, you know, boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. But you see what's happening here? Like Paul, he's straight up compelled by the Spirit. The Lord is directing him. The Lord is leading him. He says, and, he, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, straight up in the hornet's nest. Straight up, hornet's nest. Boom, unafraid. It says in verse 6, But when they opposed him, and blasphemed. It translates as defamation. They, they blasphemed him. They, they, defamation. This is all against Paul. They opposed him and blasphemed him. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what's happening here, biblically, is the door is starting to officially close for the Jews. It's starting to officially close. And what happened a couple chapters back is you see it's starting to open for the Gentiles. Namely with uh, Cornelius, beautiful Cornelius, who wasn't a Jew. But he was God-fearing. And his prayers and alms went up before the Lord. That's when you start to see the door to the Gentiles start to open. And Paul straight up says, I'm, you know, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So the door is starting to officially close for the Jews. It's starting to open more for the Gentiles. And remember, it's not that a lot of people, false teachers in the last days, I can name some names, but I'll hold off a little bit. It's called re replacement theology. They say God is done with the Jews and his promises are now for the church. That is unbiblical. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no such thing as replacement theology, biblically. Unbiblically, satanically, demonically, humanly, there is. And I can name some names of some very popular people that you know, that you've heard of, that are into replacement theology. Maybe as we get further in the last days, 
when all bets are off, I'll just straight up name names like crazy. But for now, you know, maybe I'll have like, you know, I don't know. There's got to be something I can do. Pray about that too. Put that on your prayer list. But as we get further in the last days, if it's like, like, okay, like, like, like we're straight up like it, these certain events are imminent. They're imminent now, but like this doctrine of imminency, the, the, the church in Thessalonica was, you know, they had this imminency doctrine. And just read First Thessalonians, you know, a church that we saw their birth last week in chapter 17. And when they get in in, in verse one, they came to Thessalonica. And so you see the birth of the Thessalonian church, and then they were they hardcore on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And Paul had to write Second Thessalonians. He had to write another letter, and he says, "Hey, concerning our gathering to Jesus Christ," and he starts to pinpoint these things are going to happen before. We're going to study these things. If you know, if the Holy Spirit directs us to do a hardcore study on the events of the last day. The rapture of the church, the timing of the rapture of the church. We're going to do some hardcore studies into these topics as blueprints for us as a last day's church, a last day's body of believers scattered around across the globe, wherever we are, in Asian countries and European countries in the United States. You know, we're based here in the United States, in the Western United States, but the broadcast is global. It's all over the world. Let's just say, hey, you know what, let's... Let's hold down the fort and go for broke. You know, being wise as serpents and peaceful as doves and being warriors. Warrior, warrior, fishermen. And so look what happens here. So they blasphemed Paul. They were speaking against Paul. He shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Oh, and this is where we're talking. You know, it's... This unbiblical uh, concept of replacement theology, God is not done with the Jews. The promises unto the Jews, it's still going to come to pass. But we're going to study in Romans, specifically in chapter, you know, the latter chapters. You know, especially chapter 11 is a hardcore chapter to understand these concepts. But it's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. So say, for example, there's two kids. Two kids. One loves you to death. The other hates you to death. And, you know, is like a, a little punk. Like, t- say you have two five-year-old kids. And one just like, you know, grabs onto your leg, wants to play with you, all these things. It's like, okay, yeah, let's play, let's play, okay. And the other five-year-old is like throwing rocks at you. And, and you're like, oh, man, I hate this kid. Well, you don't hate him. But, you know, it's like, uh, I don't like getting rocks thrown at my face. You know, and then all of a sudden, especially by a five-year-old, you know, it's one thing if it's an adult because it's like, you know, they have these adult concepts. But this kid, he doesn't even know what he's talking. He's wet behind the ears. So he's throwing rocks at you. And so what do you do? You take this other kid. Hey, look, let's play with this little toy. Look at this brand new shiny toy. Look how beautiful it is. You know what's going to happen with that little five-year-old kid who's throwing rocks at you? Well, he's going to be provoked to jealousy. And he's going to be provoked to jealousy. Like, you know, I want to play with this brand new shiny car too. It's like, okay, you're provoked to jealousy. Come over here. Number one, stop throwing rocks at me. Number two, if you want to play, you got to share. You're going to play nice. And number three, you know, if you're not going to play nice, then, you know, you're toast. You know, and, and so that's kind of, you know, that's a very carnal way of explaining it, a very human way of explaining it. But for the sake of explaining it, that's what the Lord is doing with Israel and the church. 
You know, it's not to say that his promises unto the Jews and to Israel are over. That's replacement theology, which is unbiblical. What's happening is, you know, the, the grace and mercy of the Lord has come into the church. And it's under the church, and it's the church age. It's not going to be open forever. The door is going to close again, and it's going to open again for Israel. The last days. You know what Paul is doing here when he, you know, he, he, he says that in verse 6 that he shook his garments. You know, it's, it's a concept what the Lord speaks in Matthew 10 verse 14, where Jesus says, you know what, straight up red letters. He says, if they won't hear your words, shake the dust from your feet. Very important message for the Christian of the last days. Because you know what? You're going to tell people about God's goodness. And what are they going to do? They're going to spit at your face. They're going to hate you. They're going to reject you. Remember the words of the Lord. You know, just like he, he told to Samuel. Samuel, the people, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit will say the same to you too. Hey, this person that you love, they're making fun of you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. That's what happens when you're an ambassador for Christ. You're not acting on your own self. You're acting on behalf of another. Your conduct is on behalf of another. I mean, look at, you know, political systems. The U.S. ambassador in Japan, U.S. ambassador in uh, Ukraine, U.S. ambassador in Brazil. They don't go off and do their own thing. If they do, they can get thrown in jail, in prison, federal prison. But they work on behalf of the U.S. administration. Whatever direction the U.S. administration wants to go in, that's the direction that these ambassadors have to go because they're acting on behalf. They're like a quasi-U.S. administration in whatever country. They're ambassadors. I mean, we have ambassadors here. The uh, Mexican, Mexican uh, ambassador in Washington, D.C. It's like a little consulate that they have, a little office that they have. And so when the Mexican president wants to you know, give a special message to the president, It'll be through the ambassador that's in Washington, D.C. Mostly they'll speak with congressmen and senators. And then the senator will take it up to the president. But sometimes if it's direct, you know, if it's like a hot button issue, like, it, like, it, like, there's like in a wartime situation, it's like, you know, they don't use ambassadors. It's like direct, direct communication, president to president, you know, prime minister to president. But that's the concept of ambassadorship. Biblically, that's how the Christian is supposed to be. Ambassadors for Christ. That's what happens when Jesus Christ is inside of you. But how many Christians, their conduct is carnal. Their conduct is their, their own humanity. Their conduct is of the flesh. You see, and... But Paul is saying, you know what? Number one, he's compelled by the Spirit. But then number two, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm shaking my garments. I'm saying, you know, for the last day's church, it's a, a model for us. People will reject you. And it's going to intensify. They might, you know, they might get violent. But they will reject you. Don't cast your pearls before swine. You know, like for me, when I cast pearls, I'm doing it right now. I'm casting pearls. And what's so, you know, in a fellowship, I cast pearls. People might come, you know, people might hear and be like, oh, you know, I don't like that. I'm out of here. That's fine. 
I don't compel anybody. There's no church. They sign up here. You have to sign your name here and you're a church member. No, it's nothing like that at all. The Lord will provide. But I cast my pearls in fellow, you know, on Sundays, on Wednesdays. That's when I cast my pearls. But when I'm out in the world fishing, I, I throw little nuggets of truth out. Throw little nuggets out. Sometimes it's by behavior, conduct. You know, you hear me say sometimes my biggest issue is anger, and it still is. But keep in mind that, you know, that's like locked up. That's like under chain. It's my Pandora's box in my heart. And the Lord of the Holy Spirit has it sealed up. One time I was out, I met this guy, and I got angry. I was, I was playing golf. I haven't golfed in a couple of years. But I was playing golf. And I hit and I landed in the weeds. And I didn't want to be in the weeds. You know, I wanted to be on the green. And I was mad. I said, oh, man, I'm so mad. I said, I'm furious. And the guy looked up at me. He says, man, that's furious. He says, like, I don't know what you're on, but like, if that's furious, then I don't know what, you know, I don't know what happy is. And I started to cry. I got kind of teary eyed because in my heart of hearts, I was rejoicing how my brand of fury, how the Lord has changed it. You see, it's like, you know what? You're a new creation in Christ. You're being transformed by renewing of your mind. So when I say like my biggest issue is anger, it still is. But the Lord has given me a helper the same way he has given you a helper. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in the last days, people are going to make fun of you. You're, 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 you're throwing these you know, little nuggets of truth. You know, Don't cast your pearls before swine. And I give the example, when I cast my pearls, I do it in Bible study. That's when I cast beautiful pearls. And even as I cast these pearls, it's not received by everybody. I fully understand that. It might be received by one, two, three, four. It might, I don't know. But you know what? It's not that I don't care. But I fully understand it's not my business. It's none of my business. All I have to do is be obedient and cast pearls. You know, in a church fellowship. But when I speak like in the community, if I'm like one-on-one at the gas station, I'll throw little nuggets of truth. You know, I'll let my behavior speak. And then all of a sudden, you know, being the salt and the light. But, you know, be very careful with giving pearls. Because I've done that before. I've cast pearls to swine. And it hurts. Because what, I mean, in, in a carnal sense, in a, a fleshly sense, Take a beautiful, beautiful pearl and rub it down and get it nice and shiny and then give it to a pig. What's the pig in it? Get a nice pearl necklace on a pig. You know, expensive pearls, you know, do the little clasp and then let the pig go. What's it going to do? It's going to wall in the mud. It scratches on the pearls, muddy pearls. It's like, oh man, you know, I spent a lot of time polishing those babies. And then, you know, that's what the word, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because what does swine do with beautiful pearls of God's holy word? They mess it up. It's not for them. It's not to say that a swine, a pig can't be, you know, a lamb. Pray for them. But you know what? It's like, you know, you can preach the gospel. Just like we studied a couple weeks ago, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And so look what happens here. Paul straight up says, you know what? Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. In verse 7, and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next <laughs> whose house was next 
door to the synagogue. I love this so much. You know, it's I get, it's so humorous, you know. I don't mean humorous like in a bad way, but I think it's kind of funny. I mean, so he's like, he's at, he's, he, you know, the, 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 he's in the synagogue and then they oppose him. They, they blaspheme him. They defame him. And they say, you know what, Paul, you're so stupid. And he says, okay, you guys, your blood be upon your own heads. Me, as for me, I'm clean. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so does Paul do. <laughs> he goes out the door and it goes next door. It goes into the next building. <laughs> I just think that's kind of funny, you know, beautiful Paul, I love him, I saw, you know, he says, you know, whose house was next door to the synagogue, he's like, you know, he walks out, hey, I'm out of here, you guys, so he walks out, (laughs) next door, (laughs) so look at verse 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, you see, it's like, whoa, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, you see, what happened? So Paul left, but when he left the synagogue, the words that he said remained. What was it that he said? It remained. Have you ever had that moment where people, they like, you know, when I was a carnal Christian, even a non-Christian in my earthly days, you know, I would hear somebody say truth and there was a Christian guy. I didn't like him at first. I hated him. And then I fell in love with him because it's like, wow, what the Lord has done in this guy's life. And so he would say these little, little things of scripture. I didn't know. I didn't know it was scripture. He would just say these little things. And at first when I heard it, I didn't like it. But later on, and you know, sometimes later on, I was like, you know, in sin, you know, and his words were like time bombs. Time bomb, straight up, like, straight up, like, sin around, like, straight up, like, in sin. And his words were like, like, it's like what he said, like, you know, sometimes a week before, days before, sometimes hours before, he'd say something. And at the time, I was just like, whatever, you know, so stupid. Unbeknownst to me, his words went in my ear and just like, boom, planted right into my heart. But it didn't blow up yet. It's like a little time capsule. If you're familiar with the uh, projectiles, you know, some projectiles have certain, they have fuses on them. So, you know, like a round would go off and it would land, it would stick in the ground, but it won't blow up. You know, it'll stick in the ground, but because it has a time fuse, it'll blow up, you know, seconds later, it'll blow up, you know, what, you know whatever, whatever time. Sometimes it blows up early, you know, like white phosphorus, you know, you shoot a round out. You know, and it blows up in the air. It doesn't hit the ground. It blows up in the air because it has a time fuse. So before it hits the ground, it hits the it blows up in the air, and then the white phosphorus rains down. Kind of violent, but you know, I'm giving an example of of a time fuse. That's what this kid's words were like. They went into my ear and they hit in the ground, but it didn't explode. It had a time fuse on it, and it blew up right when I was in sin. And it was like boom, like hardcore conviction, hardcore conviction. You know, and that's what happened with Crispus. Beautiful, beautiful Crispus in verse 8. It says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. You see, look at what's happening in Corinth. Paul goes into the synagogue. He, gets, he leaves the synagogue. You know what? I'm out of here. He goes next door. 
And so, you know, his words were like little time bombs. Little words with like little bombs with time fuses on them. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. And because he came to Jesus Christ and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, look what happens. Many other Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. It's very important to see this linear process. It says at the end of verse 8, hearing believed baptism. Very important order to understand because a lot of people say, you know, people come to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit makes you come to Jesus Christ. But that's not what the Bible says. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God as is written in Romans chapter 10. You remember Paul, he's persuading. Verse 4, persuaded both Jews and Greeks. You see, his words that were little time bombs. You know, he was planting, but Paul didn't even know he was planting. He just says, I'm out of here, guys. Walks out the door, goes next door. And he didn't even know his words were time bombs. And boom, it exploded in the heart of Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. And it wasn't just for Crispus. Because of, you know, Crispus coming to Christ, what happened? Other Corinthians, hearing, they believed and were baptized. So hear, believe, and baptized. You know, the Reformed theory says, you know, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. You know, the Holy Spirit will make you a Christian. But biblically, that's not what happens. Do you remember our study in Paul? People talk about Paul. And they say, oh yeah, Paul, you know, the Holy Spirit made uh, uh, Paul a Christian. No. No, not at all. Because if you remember our study, when Paul came to Christ, there was... I'm referring to his conversion in chapter 9. There was a hardcore proposition in chapter 9, verse 5. Uh, let's look at verse 4. Red letters. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to Paul. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And here's the proposition to Paul. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You say like, what do you mean? How is that? How, how is that? Uh, what do you mean? Well, in the Old Testament, in the law, there's a law regarding the ox. It's a proposition. The Lord is giving him a proposition. Look, if you're going to fight me, you're going to die in accordance with the law. And the Lord is saying, hey, choose life. You say, what? Where do you get that from? Where, where, where is that written? Well, we did our study in, in, in uh, Exodus, Leviticus. And there's you know specific mention about the ox, the law of the ox. You know, like it, 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 it's, it, it, you know, remember who Saul is. A Pharisee of Pharisees. It's a proposition. It is hard for you to kick against the goats because in accordance with the law, 
an ox who kicks against the goats, you know, depending on situationally, if the ox kills the innocent, the ox must be killed. It's a proposition. Straight up. You read uh, um, Exodus 21. Exodus 21. And you'll see these things written. Legal writings in accordance with the law. Put yourself in the shoes of a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so, you know, we see these writings, we understand these things, and it's like, whoa, it's so beautiful what's happening here. The Lord is at work. Just like in the last days, the Lord is at work. The Lord will be at work. He will continue to be at work. But who are the ones who have eyes to see and ears to hear? Who are they? Where are they? You know, you might wonder yourself as we see this darkness encroaching. Just remember the Lord's words to Elijah. Hey, you're not alone, Elijah. You know, you're not alone. You know, whoever you are, you know, there are thousands who have not bowed the knee. Elijah, 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. I wonder how many the Lord would say to us. I wonder how many. That doesn't mean we, you know, we fall over. It means we stand. We make our stand. So look what happens here. Going back to uh, Acts 18, verse 8. And so this order, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And these, the day and we live in today, there's some hardcore government restrictions. Hardcore. First, they say, you know, we're closing down things. You know, all businesses shut, shut down to include houses of worship. Everything shuts down. And then the federal government comes in and says, okay, houses of worship are an essential business. And then the states come in. Okay, it's essential business. That's fine. But here are the rules. You have to have 25% occupancy and still have the uh, uh, social distancing, all these things, wear the mask, here's the cleaning methods, here's everything you got to do. And then things start to open up again. And then like California, they closed up again. And now they're giving a mandate, hey, no singing in church, no public declarations in church, you know, no choir, no worship team, no singing, no nothing. We're getting very close dangerously close to where we have to make some hardcore decisions. Hardcore decisions. Because we have to have a lot of wisdom inside the church. Pulpit Christian and pew Christian, the church at large. doesn't matter, you know, ministry role, it doesn't matter. But every single Christian must have the wisdom of the Lord. To be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. And always remain faithful to the Lord. You know, it's as these mandates come down, you know, to pray for government. Because there are Christians in government. There are uh, uh, officials and, you know, uh, cabinet members who are Christians at the federal level. And there's, you know, like uh, uh, people who sit at the round table of mayors and governors who are Christians. Pray for these people. Pray for them that the Lord can show them favor. Because there are some major decisions that are coming down, being mandated. Or, you know what, in this age of the Antichrist spirit, raising and raising, getting more and more, and, you know, heavier and more intense, we need to fight. We need to fight. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We need to fight. 
You know, and quite possibly you look at the churches in other countries when there's major persecution against the church. What do they do? They go underground. Underground. Where it's a church, but they do things in secret. They meet in secret. That's what the last days is going to be like. Underground churches. Kind of like the book of Acts. But like, quiet. You know, home fellowships. Home church here, home church there. And in a home fellowship, you know, maybe the home fellowship becomes a neighborhood fellowship. You already see it in China, in Russia, in Arab countries. It's almost like the the church mainstay, so to speak, is... It's very difficult to manage a fellowship like that. And I don't mean like uh, from a managerial perspective. I mean from with the government's role. 25% occupancy. Look at these churches that have, you know, they have mortgages to pay. They have rent to pay. And they have to run at 25% occupancy. You know, they have salaries to meet. The church is going to radically change. And what do people do when this huge wave of the social gospel comes into the church? Everybody's talking about, oh, what's the latest thing? Okay, we, I, I want to I, I be relevant to the culture, so I'm going to speak about what's relevant to the culture. No, you speak. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, you speak about the Word of God. Who cares about culture? You speak about the Word of God, period. Because you're an ambassador. You're not doing your own business. You're an ambassador. You're speaking on behalf of another. You're speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. You're teaching on His behalf. And when the world wants to chop off your head, you know what? Give them your head. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Look what happens here. In verse, you know, to be wise, you know, wise fishermen, wise as serpents, peaceful as doves, warriors, and still fishing for souls. In verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Let's pause here for a moment. Look at the beautiful intimacy that Paul has with the Lord. Remember the vision he had a couple nights ago, a couple, you know, in a couple chapters ago, when they got the Macedonian call? And then, you know, here in verse 5, he's compelled by the Spirit. And here, straight up, the Lord is speaking to him in a vision, compelling him, the Lord. Like straight up red letters. I mean, here we are in the book of Acts, chapter 18, well into the book of Acts. And what do we see? Red letters. And this is what he says, the Lord speaking to him in a vision. Do not be afraid. In the Greek, do not be afraid is phobeo me. Phobeo me. It's like phobia. Phobeo me. And the may part, it's like an absolute negation of fear is to take your fear and render it completely, fully and completely obsolete. Take your fear and render it obsolete. The Lord is telling me, Paul, take your fear, ball it up and throw it in the trash. It's obsolete. A complete and total negation of fear. And the Lord is telling him, do not be afraid. But... Speak and do not keep silent. Remember, red letters. Red letters. Don't be silent. Speak. Have you ever been afraid to say something to another person? 
You know, it's like, oh man, I really don't want to hurt this guy's feelings. I really don't want to hurt this lady's feelings. I'm going to say something and they're going to spit at me. I'm going to say this. He's going to punch me in the face. I'm going to say this and I'm never going to see them again. Have you ever been in that situation? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's what Paul, that's what the Lord is saying to Paul. Don't be afraid. Speak. You remember Ananias? The good Ananias. There's the bad Ananias that lied to the Holy Spirit with his wife. The good Ananias. The one who was praying and the Lord spoke to him. Hey, Ananias. The Lord told him, hey, Ananias, I want you to bring in this guy Saul into your home. And beautiful Ananias like, whoa, Lord. This guy, you know what? Are you sure about it? Because this guy, he's a bad dude. And the Lord gave him assurance. And the Lord spoke to him and says, He is my vessel and I'm going to use him to speak to the Gentiles. So like we have all these things being revealed in Acts chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And here we are in 18. But what was revealed to Ananias in his own prayer time? Beautiful man of the Lord. And yeah, he was afraid. Because he told the Lord, like, Lord, are you sure? Do you know who this Saul is? I love that. Because the Lord doesn't get angry with Ananias. He's like, yeah, I know, I know who Ananias is. Or I know who Saul is, Ananias. Do you know who I am? All these people who question the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament. Lord, are you sure? Lord, where are you? Lord, I don't know. Look at Jonah. The Lord says, hey... I want you to go east to uh, Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He goes west. He goes, no way, I don't want to do that. I'm out of here. He gets on a boat and, get, and all of a sudden, he, you know, they throw him overboard. And he gets swallowed by a whale. Three days and three nights. And he's praying in the belly of the whale. The whale comes to shore, spits him out, and sends him back to where he was. He's right at, you know, right back to where he started. And instead of going west like he did when he was fearful, what does he do? He has the assurance of the Lord. He made a commitment to the Lord and he goes east. He goes east in obedience. See, the Lord deals with us. He'll deal with your fears. He'll comfort you in your fears. When you fear, you know, it's part of the human experience to be fearful. But you know what? Don't run away from a fight. Like, you talk to a 10-year-old kid and you say, okay, kid, say you're on a boat and you say, okay, kid, we're going to hit the shore in 10 minutes. And when we hit the shore, the people there, they're going to want to kill you. And a 10-year-old would be afraid. Like, oh man, these people want to kill me? What am I going to do? You know, these are, you know, to tell a 10-year-old in a boat, okay, 10-year-old, we're going to hit the shore in 10 minutes and these people, they've done atrocious things and now they want to do atrocious things to you they're going to kill you and a 10 year old would be freaked out now you take that same 10 year old who has grown who has matured he's 15 years old he's getting stronger he's 17 years old he's getting stronger you know he's 18 years old he signs up for the military. He gets trained up in weaponry. He gets trained up in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He gets trained up in whatever. You know, he's efficient in his 
tactical ability. And then you tell this 20-year-old, hey, 21-year-old or 20-year-old, it's like, okay, we're in this boat. We're going to hit the shore in 10 minutes. And, you know, the, the ramp is going to go down. And this group of guys over there, they want to kill you. You think he's going to be afraid? He might have a little bit of fear. Like, man, you know, I hope I don't get shot. You know, hope one of those bullets don't hit me in the head. But he's still going to be in obedience. Like, okay, let's handle business. He's going to be equipped. He's going to be ready. Maybe there's a little element of fear. I don't know. But fear is put in its proper place. The same thing applies to Christians. There's a certain aspect, a certain element about the last days that is fearful. You read about it and it's like, whoa, this is scary. But you know what? Let's put things in proper perspective. That's what the Lord is doing with Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul, but speak and do not keep silent. That's the order. Do not keep silent. What a beautiful order that is. I mean, I'm a talkaholic. So imagine the Lord is saying, like, you know, do not keep silent. It's like, okay, Lord. You know, it's like, wow, it's like perfect. You know, do not keep silent. I have to tell you, you know, I, I pose the question, you know, have you ever been afraid to say something? And you know what? People will leave you. People will hate you. People will mock you. But what's so beautiful about that? When everybody leaves you, <laughs> there's, there's nobody you can make angry anymore. So it's like, you know, you can be freed up to speak, freed up to... It, it's kind of cool how the Lord works. You know, it's like, wow, you know what? I, I used to have all these people. I used to have all these friends. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feel, little feelers, you know. And maybe I was a little bit afraid. Maybe I was a little snowflake, but I didn't want to hurt other snowflakes. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep quiet. But what happens when you stop being quiet and everybody leaves you? It's like, okay, you have nobody to offend. So go out, you know. Speak. Speak. Do not keep silent. This is what he says in verse 10. Remember, red letters. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. I'm with you, he's telling Paul. Straight up, I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Something interesting to note here at this particular point in verse 10 to the re remainder of the book of Acts. You're going to see, and we're going to see in our study, it's almost as if the worst is over. You know, when he was let, Paul was left for dead, beaten, and they thought he was dead, so they just left him there on the side of the road. It's almost as if the worst is over. You know, the attacks still come, but the hurt doesn't come with it. So you're going to see, like, from this point on, there's threats that arise, but the attacks don't come. You know, like... Um, like, have you ever... Like, if, if you've ever been in a fight physical fight and there's like I hate it that's the thing I hate about a fight you know in my carnal days you know I like boxing I watch boxing from now and then but but you know I like the tactics of a fight uh tactical movements you know I admire that people who are ex excel skillfully in those abilities you know whatever discipline it is I enjoy that um but like in a fight you know you're in a fight and you see, like, the, the, like, you know, it's like, there's always, like, talk. I hate that, you know. It's like, if you're going to fight, just fight. That's my, con if you're going to fight, just do it. But you see people, it's like, they get, you know, face-to-face, nose-to-nose, and they're just arguing, and they're like, 
you know, oh, if you hit me, I'm going to hit back. If you do, and so I just, it's all talk. And then all of a sudden it calms down and people go away. But then, you know, sometimes you see people do that and then somebody throws a fist and then boom, it's on. But, you know, like hear what the Lord is saying. It's like, you know what? You're still going to have people coming to attack you. But you know what? They're not going to hurt you, Paul. It's like, you know, someone's going to get in your face. Somebody's going to get in your nose, Paul. But they're not going to swing their fist. I'm going to stop them from hurting you. And from this point on, for the rest of the book of Acts, you're going to see the attacks still come to Paul. But the hurt, it's like the worst is over. You know, it's very interesting to see these things. Paul, eventually, he's going to get beheaded. The command is going to be given by Nero Nero, to behead Paul. And Paul gets beheaded. But when he goes to Rome, when he gets captured, he gets imprisoned. And ultimately, it leads to his beheading. It's willful. It's willful. He offered himself. He wasn't afraid. To the point of death, he wasn't afraid. You see how beautiful Paul is? I'm so in love with this guy. And so look what happens here. The Lord is telling him, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. See, Paul was a vessel that the Lord was using to straight up wake them up. I mean, how many people are in our town? Like, you don't even know. But how many people are around you in your area that maybe, that you know, they don't, they don't, they, they know about you, but they don't know of you. They know, okay, you know, this guy lives over here. This lady lives over here. They know of you. But you haven't had opportunity to like, you know, get down and dirty with them. To tell them to plant your little time bombs. To, you know, plant your little fuse bombs. And that's what the Lord is telling Paul. Paul, there's many people in the city. I have many people in the city. And Paul as a vessel used to shake them up. To wake them up. Intimacy with the Lord brings this assurance. You know, we talk, you hear me mention intimacy with the Lord. And it is indeed such a beautiful thing. Something that every single Christian should strive for. And strive to keep intimacy with the Lord. But there's something about intimacy that's multifaceted. It brings certain assurances with it. Assurances from the Lord. Such is the case what's happening here with Paul. Don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be silent either, Paul. I am with you, Paul. No one will attack you to hurt you, Paul. For I have many people in this city, Paul. This beautiful intimacy. Straight up red letters. We are well into Acts. Like the midpoint, past the midpoint. And here we have red letters straight up. You know, he's being comforted by the Lord. He's being assured by the Lord. And you know, no harm is going to come to you, Paul. But you have to speak. You have to speak. And so in verse 11, he says, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So a year and six months without cause, without event. You know, no harm came to him for a year and a half. You know, it, I, I should say, you know, a year and a half plus because we're going to see like, you know, the, the hurt. It's like it, the worst is over for Paul. 
Don't forget that, you know, he's living with Priscilla and Aquila, what we, what we read in verse 3, that he stayed with them and worked, so he's living with them. He, he abode with them. And Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, they're like sponges. Beautiful, beautiful man and woman of the Lord. They're like sponges and they're learning and soon they're able to teach. We're going to see it in a little bit. They're able to teach. So they're sponges. That's what's beautiful. Be a sponge. Be a beautiful, beautiful sponge. You know, when you open up your Bible and you read, when you listen to a sermon, you know, make sure that whoever you're listening to aligns with Holy Scripture. If they don't align with Holy Scripture, don't listen to them. You know, listen, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Make sure you listen to sermons and preachers and pastors and, you know, listen to these teachers that that align with the Word of God. And then when they align with the Word of God, you know, allow yourself to, you know, to be a sponge and take these things in, soak them in. Because one day the Lord's going to squeeze you. And what happens when you squeeze a sponge? The water flows out. Except, you know, you're like wine, you know, wine in a new wineskin, new wine in a new wineskin. And the Lord is going to fill you up and then eventually he's going to pour you out. You have to allow him to. I don't, you know, I say you have to let him to. You have to allow him to. But it's a choice. I strongly urge you to, but it's still your choice. And so that's what Priscilla and Aquila, for a year and a half, you know, living with Paul. Imagine their breakfasts, imagine their dinner, you know, imagine just walking with Paul, you know, getting groceries, you know, walk, hearing Paul interact, going to the synagogue with Paul and hearing him, listening to him, you know, reason, listen to him, persuade. It's like, whoa, look at this guy go, like, opening your understanding. You see how beautiful this fellowship is? And so look what happens here in verse 11. He says, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. So he's like a political leader, this Gallio guy. The Jews with one accord. See, you see this one accord, you know, unity among the Jews. Everyone says, oh yeah, unity is a good thing. Well, unity is a good thing when it's biblical, when it's amongst the church, the koinonia, the ecclesia, you know, the synagogue. But you see this uh, uh, one accord amongst the Jews. But what is it? It's an opposition to Paul. It says they rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. It's the Bema seat. It's how it translates in the Greek. The Bema seat. But except this is the Bema seat of the world. There is a Bema seat. Heavenly Bema seat. This is the Bema seat of the world. And that's where they are. The Jews are like, hey, this Paul guy. You know, they go to the political leader. They go to uh, Gallio. Saying in verse 13, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Very interesting. So the Jews, they don't like Roman law, but when it suits them, they like it. You know, it's the exact same today. Do you ever have people do that? Oh yeah, you know what? I, I like this law. You know, I like this law that says if I'm in the, this income bracket, I can get my food stamps. I can get all these things. I can get, you know, Section 8 housing. I can get, you know, oh yeah, I get these. Uh, give me my uh, tax credits. Give me all my tax credits. Give me my stimulus. Give me this. Give me that. They like the law of land when it benefits them. But then what happens when the law is like it, it comes against them? You know, you can't have it both ways. 
you know, you can try, but it's like your hypocrisy is on full display. It's like, wow, you know, I hate government. I hate government. But, you know, with your right hand, you're saying I hate government. With your left hand, you're saying, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, it. remember what, what, what the letter, Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. It's about Christian conduct. Minding your own business. Don't be a burden. You know, work with your own hands. Take care of yourself. Take care of your business. Work, you know. Uh, bring home the bacon, so to speak. There's that saying, bring home the bacon. You know, don't be a burden on the church. It's not to say that the church, you know, can't provide for, you know, the, the uh, congregation. Because certainly it can. We're supposed to. But then Paul writes letters, hey, don't take advantage. He even said in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, what we studied last week, the birth of the, the Thessalonian church. He says, hey, look, if you don't want to work, don't eat. If a man will not work, neither will he eat. You know, I don't think Paul would be well well received in the church today. Honestly, straight up, I don't think he would. I mean, imagine if he said that in a church. He stands up in a church. Oh, we have a guest speaker today. Paul, come up here to the pulpit. He stands at the pulpit. He starts saying, oh yeah, I hear these things are going on. And he starts to expound on biblical concepts and doctrine. Saying, don't be a burden, you know, bring home the husbands, go out and bring home the bacon, provide for your families. You know, if you can't feed your wife and three kids, you know, don't have four kids. Don't have your fifth and sixth kid. Don't have your seventh and eighth kid. You can barely feed two kids. You can barely feed one kid. You can barely feed yourself. You know, it's Christian conduct. Don't be a burden. You know, have a good report among those on the outside, outside the church. You know, the Lord reveals these things to you. And so, you know, as a guest speaker, Paul says, oh, yeah, by the way, if a man won't work, neither will he eat. They'll throw tomatoes at him, the church today. But here's what happens, you know, the Jews come up and they go to the uh, 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 the proconsul. They say this fellow persuades men to worship contrary to worship God contrary to the law. You see, it's suitable for them. They like this as they don't like the Roman law, but when it comes to this, hey, we like this law. It's kind of like you hear, you know, I hate the police. You know, defund the police. You see the signs of spray paint. You know, uh, uh, A cab, A C A B. All cops are bad. You know, kill the pigs. You know, and then bad happens. What do they do? Oh, call the cops. Call the cops. It's like that. It's like it's backwards. It's the exact same thing today. Nothing new under the sun. You know, people who say they hate the law, but then they like the law. They say they don't want the law, but then they want the law. You know, people who say they hate government, but then they want government. They like the handouts. They like the gimmies. In verse 14, And when Paul was about to open his mouth, pause there for a moment. Remember verse 10. Remember verse 10 and the Lord's promise unto Paul when he says, I am with you in verse 10. I am with you, Paul, and no one will attack you, Paul, to hurt you, Paul, for I have many people in this city. Now let's go to verse 14. Uh, verse, uh, 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 14. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, and picture that, Paul, like his mouth starts to open up and he's about to speak, maybe inhales, and then boom, he stopped by Gallio. Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, where would be where would be reason why I or there would be reason why I should bear with you? But 
If it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes when that happens. He inhales, opens his mouth like he's about ready to speak and, you know, make his claim, make his defense. And then, boom, what happens? Galileo starts to speak. You see God's favor. God's favor, fulfillment of his promises. When the Lord told him in verse 10, Paul, I'm with you. No one's going to attack you to hurt you. Picture Paul. I wonder if he had a little smile on his face. Like, wow, Lord, you're too good, you know. He's just listening to the proconsul speak. He's looking at the proconsul, turns to the left, looks at the Jews, looks at the proconsul, and I wonder if he just had a big smirk on his face. Not like a smirk of, you know, like a snide remark or, you know, in, in, you know, like, you know, a prideful, but just smiling like, wow, Lord, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. In verse 16, and he drove them from the judgment seat. So you see God's favor is his, the, the Lord's promise specifically to Paul is being fulfilled right here. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. So now, you know, let's pause here for a moment. It says the, the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Sosthenes, you know, mockers, mockers today, they'll pinpoint this and say, you see, there's a contradiction in the Bible because verse 17 says Sosthenes is the ruler of the synagogue. But then verse 8 says Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue. You see, the Bible is wrong. There's a contradiction in the Bible. Therefore, you're wrong, O Christian. Therefore, I can go ahead and live my life like this. I can live my life in sin because the Bible is wrong. That's what the mockers say. That's what the non-believers say. That's what demons say. That's what Satanists say. But you know what? That's not the case. Don't forget that Crispus became a Christian. Crispus became a Christian. He believed in Jesus Christ. And Sosthenes was his replacement. So that year and a half, that year and a half time frame, that gap that where Paul was in Corinth, you know, the Lord was at work. People in Corinth were coming to Christ. The church was born, the church in Corinth. Sosthenes was the replacement of Crispus. So these mockers who say, you know, you see, you know, verse 8 says Crispus was a ruler of the synagogue. Sosthenes in verse 17 was the ruler of the synagogue. You see, there's a contradiction. No, there's no contradiction. When people tell you there's a contradiction in the Bible, you know what they're really saying? They're saying their life is a contradiction. That's what I would say. There's no contradiction in the Bible. Your life is a contradiction to the Bible. Because you say these things are good. You say this and that is good. But let's look at the Bible. It says it's bad. It says you need to repent. The Bible says that if you die in the sin, you're going to burn in hell. I don't want you to burn in hell. And you know what? God, who loves you, doesn't want that to happen to you either. God, who is rich in mercy for you and toward you, gave His only begotten Son. Not to condemn you, but that you through Him, through Jesus Christ, might be saved because He loves you. See, that's... People say, oh yeah, there's contradiction in the Bible. No, your life is a contradiction. Repent. Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. As a little side note, Sosthenes, who was the replacement of Crispus, the, high pre or the, 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 um, the ruler of the synagogue, 
Sosthenes, who was his replacement, also became a Christian. You say, whoa, how do you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first verse. That's all you got to do. You'll see Sosthenes. He became a Christian. Let's remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. The letter to the church in Corinth. You see how beautiful the Lord is at work. Just, you know, thus fulfills what the Lord told him. In verse 10, I have many people in this city. Paul, I'm going to use you as a vessel to wake these people up. Speak. You need to speak. He's telling Paul, Paul, if you're quiet, you're disobedient. I wonder if that rings true for anyone, any of you today. You know? I wonder what the Lord, you know, it's like, I have many people in the city, is what he told Paul. We have to be wise in these last days. Very, very wise. Because ultimately, don't forget the two witnesses, when we get to, in, in our studies, and we've already studied it, but when we get there again, the two witnesses, they're going to get killed. The Antichrist will kill them. And you know what's going to happen? The world will rejoice at their death. Because what do they say? These two witnesses, they say they're of the Lord and all they do is judge. It's so judgmental. Everybody's it's judgmental about this, judgmental about that. Does that sound familiar? Look at the way culture is today. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. And it's just getting amplified more and more and more, worse and worse and worse and worse. So Sosthenes. In verse 17, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. In verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. I mean, I shouldn't just gloss over the fact that Sosthenes was beaten. You know, it's, I wonder if this was something that proved to him, you know, kind of opened the door to his faith in Jesus Christ. Could be, I don't know. So not to gloss over the fact that he was beaten. In verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. So, you know, a year and a half plus. Could maybe two years, three years. I don't know. It says, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren. Translates as he bid farewell to the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Achilla were with him. You see? It's so cool to see this because what happens, they go into Syria, which is Asia Minor in the, you know, the, the, the geography of the early church age. It's Asia Minor. And what do they do there in Syria? But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, you see that they had a little home church, a little home fellowship, Priscilla and Aquila. It says, so it says that they were with him. And he, it says in verse 18, he had his hair cut off at Centrea, which is a little bit, you know, west of Corinth or uh, what's south, east of Corinth. It says he had his hair cut off at Centrea, for he had taken a vow. I don't want to get overly deep about Paul's vow, but I have a strong suspicion, very, very strong suspicion. And I can make the case. Me personally, I can't corroborate this anywhere, but me personally, I believe he took the vow of the Nazarite. And, you know, the vow of the Nazarite is written in Numbers chapter 6. And in if you read number 6, you're going to read about, you know, laws when you confront a corpse. And this is, I can't corroborate this. But I think the corpse was Paul. I think the corpse was Paul. 
because from this point on, Paul is different. I shouldn't say from this point on. Maybe it was like from verse 10 on. Paul is a little bit different. It's... I can't describe it. It's just his... Demeanor. I don't want to say demeanor. His spirit. I'll leave it at that. His spirit is different. It's it's almost as if from this point on he is mm, a stronger ambassador. He's just more steadfast in his commitment, but it's deep in his spirit. Just in me, me personally, just from my perspective, and it's evidenced in his letters. So like, for example, like in chapter 17, you know, he he was in Thessalonica, the birth of the church. And then, you know, here he's in Corinth, the birth of the church. But when I say it's evidenced in his writings, look at the letters that he writes to Corinth. Look at the letters that he writes to Thessalonica. Look at the letters that he writes to the church in Ephesus. I mean, here's another, you know, it says in in verse, uh, um, oh, we just read it. In verse, uh, uh, oh, in verse 19. Oh, I guess we hadn't read it yet. It says he came to Ephesus. So he's in Ephesus, and you see now the Ephesian church. Well, we have the book of Ephesians. So you see these, the, the, like the church is birthed in these areas. But then, you know, months pass, years pass. And what does he do? He writes letters back to the churches. And when I say that there's a different Paul, it's evidence in his letters. Look at how he writes to the church. He says, you know, did I labor for you in vain? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He says, I tell you even weeping. He he speaks like, he speaks like a father. A loving father, not a dorky earthly father. He speaks like a loving father. Pleading with the people. Assuring them, comforting them, warning them. And not to say that he didn't have that level of care, like from, you know, pre-chapter 18. But when I say it's evidence in his letters, like we're seeing the birth of the church, you're seeing the conduct of Paul. And that's one thing. You're seeing like, you know, quotes, Paul's quotations. But then he actually sits down. And in some cases, he actually pens a letter. In most cases, he had scribes. So he would be like, you know, speaking and somebody would be repenting it. But in some cases, he would write his own. Some cases it would be scribed, but then he would sign it with his own hand. You know, in the letter would state like, you know, I'm writing this with my own hand or I'm signing this with my own hand. You know, I wonder what Paul's, the thorn in his side was. Maybe he had infirmities that limited his ability to, to write. I don't know. But, you know, supposedly when he started to, you know, get towards the end, he was an old man. I don't know how, you know, maybe he was so old, maybe he couldn't see too well and he couldn't write. I don't know. But it's so cool because no matter what his infirmity was, no matter what his, whatever, no matter what it was, he kept at it. <laughs> he stayed obedient. He stayed a fighter. He stayed fighting. He stayed pressing, pressing forward. You know, himself, his own body as a drink offering. And so look what happens here. So, you know, I have strong suspicions. I can't corroborate this. I, 
but I have strong suspicions that the vow he took when he shaved it cut off his head in Centria, for he had taken a vow. I wonder if it was the vow of the Nazarite. And the corpse in number six, if it was himself, his carnal self, his old ways before he had the acknowledgement of, okay, I'm an ambassador for Christ. As evidenced in his letters when he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And he loves his chains. In verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. So, you know, that you see the beginning of the Ephesian church and Priscilla and Aquila, he left them there in Ephesus. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Remember, it's his custom. Go to the hornet's nest. Not afraid. He wasn't afraid before, but now even more so when the Lord has told him, I am with you, don't be afraid. And then he says um, in verse 20, when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent. He didn't consent, but took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep the, this coming feast in Jerusalem. So, you know, what happens here in, like in verse 21, where it says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. This is not a not, this is not recognized text in the, in the most authoritative Greek manuscripts. This particular portion, when he says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, it's not in, in most authoritative Greek versions, this is omitted. In most. But... In my opinion, you know, it's in some translations. I mean, I read out the New King James Version and it's here. It's in the New King James Version. But it, co it also coincides with the vow, the vow of the Nazarite from number six. That's what, you know, there's certain clues that lead me to believe that it's the vow of the Nazarite. I don't know for sure, but I wonder. And I can make a case about it too. Like, this is why, this is why, this is why. Pinpoint here and as evidenced in the life of Paul in the in the rebirth of Paul, you know, Saul to Paul. And so in, um, in verse 21, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So the seeds were planted in Ephesus. Remember, he went to the synagogue, you know, he goes to the hornet's nest, but then, you know, these seeds were planted, but then something else happens. Priscilla and Aquila, he left them there. They stayed there. They had a home fellowship there, what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19 in, in uh, Asia Minor. And what you see Paul planting, but then he leaves Priscilla and Aquila to water and still plant. Priscilla and Aquila. In verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, this is at the coast near Jerusalem now, he says, and got, gone up and greeted the church. Some translations say the church in Jerusalem, went to Jerusalem and greeted the church. It says he went down to Antioch. You see, he's all over the place. No social media. He's all over the place, walking, you know, riding on animals, getting on a boat, you know, more walking, all these things. No cars, no airplanes, you know, it's, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. And he's getting older. Don't forget, he's getting older and older and older. Um, he went down to Antioch. Verse 23. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia. You see, the Galatian church. Look how loaded verse 18. I mean, 17 and 18, you have Thessalonica. You have Corinth. You know, we see uh, in verse 19, Ephesus. And then here is... 
Galatia, verse 23. Over the region of Galatia. That's the Galatian church. And Phrygia, in order, translates as consecutively, strengthening all the disciples. Strengthening to support, to reaffirm, to establish and confirm. That's what Paul is doing. Going back to all the places he had been. Hey guys, you know, let me let me reassure you in these things. Let me reaffirm you. Oh, let me warn you about these. Going back and doing it. But then he would do it in letter two. See, all about the father's business, sold out, an ambassador in chains. And mind you, they're chains that he is in love with. Now, in verse 24, look what happens here. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, this is such a beautiful passage here. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, which means he's an orator. And, you know, mighty, he's strong in the scriptures. He understands it. He knows the Bible. Old Testament, you know, the scrolls, you know, Torah, minor prophets, major prophets. This is you know, the, the, uh, the poetic chapters, the Psalms and Proverbs, the chapters of wisdom, the wisdom chapters. And it says, uh, this man, uh, it says, this, Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Don't forget, so there's a small church there in Priscilla and Achilla's house. And, you know, don't forget that Priscilla and Achilla, they're not, you know, they've been sponges the whole time they were with, with Paul, at least one and a half years. Maybe two years, maybe three years, I don't know, because he stayed there in, for, for some time. He remained a good while in verse 18. But then, you know, it says that uh, uh, in verse 11 that he was there a year and six months. But then verse 18 says he was there a good while. So it could be two years, three years. But uh, Paul... So look what happens here. So uh, Paul and Aquila, uh, they were sponges. They were sponges this whole time with Paul. And, you know, they had their home fellowship. So they have their home fellowship. And who comes to town? Apollos, who's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. And, you know, uh, Paul and Aquila, they're also mighty in the scriptures, too, because they've been sponges this whole time. They were sponges. And so in verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John, John the Baptist. That's the only baptism he knew about. And what was the baptism of John? Or it says the baptism of John. What was it? Water baptism. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He didn't know about that baptism. Apollos. And remember, you know, the Holy Spirit that didn't go inside of Simon, what we read a couple chapters ago. How the Holy Spirit went into everybody who believed, except he bypassed one because his heart wasn't right with the Lord. He bypassed Simon. And so look what happens here in verse 26. In closing, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So it's explained. He, they exposed and expounded to him the way of God more accurately. Translates as more accurately and, you know, accurate and with perfection. More accurately with perfection. Koinonia. Fellowship. You know what's so beautiful about this account? Apollos, there was no pride in him. 
Like, who are you to teach me? Who are you to tell me this? No, he knew the Bible. He was, you know, well-versed in Scripture. He had extreme knowledge of Scripture. But yet, at the same time, he allowed himself to be sharpened. And you see here, you know, Paul, or Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. You know, women can teach. Women can teach, you know, in, 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 you know, like uh, 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 in a church environment, women can't teach men. Biblically, women can't teach men. But like in, the, in, a, in like a, um, an environment where, you know, somebody doesn't understand the scriptures and, you know, a, a, a husband and wife can bring a person into their home and say, hey, you know what? Let's expound on the scriptures. Let's open up the Bible and let's open and expand. And let me show you these things more accurately and more perfectly. You know, not the woman, period, the woman with husband. Because every time in the Bible, you see, there's always a male covering. When you see a woman teacher, there's always a male covering. Priscilla has her covering, Aquila. You know, Esther has her covering, Mordecai. Old Testament and New Testament. You know, a lot of women, you know, I had this conversation with, you know, uh, some women, you know, not recently, but, you know, before. Is I want to be a teacher, you know, I want to teach. It's like, okay, if you want to teach, you know, pray about it. And, you know, it has to be women. Why? I want to teach men. You know, uh, you see on TV, I watch TV, there's, you know, pastor this lady, pastor this lady, prophetess this lady, and they teach men. I watch them on TV and they're teaching men. Okay, but they're not following the Bible because the Bible says women can't teach men. Oh, you see this feminist movement that is coming into the church. You know, it's like, oh, but, you know, I'm married. I have a covering. Well, okay, let's look at your covering. You know, make certain you do have a covering. You know, if you're female, make certain you do have a covering. Where's your husband's doctrine? Where's his fruit? If there is no fruit, you know what? Stick to teaching women. And if you're to teach men, you have to have your husband. It's it's like this example, Aquila and Priscilla. You know, it's not like Priscilla's like, you know, the heavy and, you know, Aquila's like, you know, a a beta male. No, that's what you see in the last days. Bunch of beta males. And, you know, the the wife is the heavy and the wife wants to instruct men. From a church perspective, it's impossible. It can't be done. I mean, it's possible in a carnal perspective, but biblically, following the biblical recipe of righteousness, no. Women can't teach men in a church. But here, this example... You know, Priscilla and Kill- Priscilla has her male covering, her husband, her beautiful, godly husband, who's been a sponge with Paul. Priscilla's been a sponge with Paul. They've both been sponges with Paul. And what are they doing? They're helping another. Iron sharpening iron. And they're explaining more accurately. There's a huge feminist movement in the church today. Huge feminist movement. Like the Foursquare Church, you know, Pastor Jane, you know, Pastor Jenny, Pastor... Uh, whatever, I I can't think of females' names, but, you know, sticking a female's name there. Oh, yeah, this is our pastor this, pastor that. You look at the uh, Episcopal Church. You know, here's Pastor Jenny. Oh, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was, you know, James. And he, he had a, a transi- he transitioned into a female. It's unbiblical. Unbiblical. You have to follow sound doctrine. It's, you know, the Lord gives us this recipe. Remember on Wednesday we studied strange fire? Strange fire, look what happened to uh, Abihu and, 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 you know, the sons of Aaron. Look what happened. 
You know, it, it, it's like today we think we're going to get away with it. We're not going to get away with it. So what's the remedy? Follow the word of God. You know, have a right heart. Don't be a hypocrite. Take the two by four out of your own eye. And then you're biblically able to correct another brother. If you're a female and you want to be a teacher, praise be to the Lord, teach women. You know, if, if you see a guy, you know, like I'll give you an example. Say you're a female teacher and you teach other women. And, you know, there's a guy, you know, who their doctrine is crazy. You know, not crazy, but, you know, okay, but not accurate. But because you have been a sponge and because your husband has been a sponge, biblically, you're able to, you know, okay, let me tell you something about this. Or it's like a tag team where the wife says this, husband says this. and Like Priscilla and Aquila. You know, wife says this, husband says this, wife says this, husband says this. And you're building up another. But for a church body, women can't teach. So that's, the Lord shows us. He gives us these examples. And you don't see pride in Apollos. You don't see, like, you know, uh, macho. He's no machismo. You know, I'm Latino. So, like, you know, we have a very macho culture, you know. But uh, you don't see that here in, with Apollos. You see how beautiful he is. He's like, oh, you know, tell me more. He's already learned it in Scripture. But he doesn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they tell him more accurately and perfectly as they expose this the, the, the way of God more accurately. In verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, and so what's happening here with Apollos is he wants to go to the next town over, which is Achaia, which is the next town in close proximity to Corinth. It says, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Remember, he was, he was already sharp before. But he was sharpened even more by Priscilla and Aquila to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. You see, the Bible is the ultimate authority. Ultimate authority. There is no other authority. It's like, boom, this is our blueprints. The Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. Every jot, every tittle. And you know what's so beautiful about this passage? Specifically about Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, and Paul is Paul's not alone. Paul's not alone. And remember the division that arose in the church in Corinth where people would say, oh, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas, which Cephas is, is Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. This is that Apollos. Because look at what he's doing in this region near Corinth as he gets closer and closer to Corinth. What is he doing? He's, he, he greatly helped those who had believed and he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is a heavy hitter in the faith. I mean, do you have like your favorite Bible teachers? Say like you have Bible teacher number one, Bible teacher number two, Bible teacher number three. And you, you know, you're like, I like this guy, but this guy's better. And then somebody says, oh, yeah, I like this guy, but I like this guy better. And there's like all this division. I'm a, you know, I'll give you an example of what that was in Corinth. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Apollos. Division. Paul had to write a letter to them, to the church in Corinth. And say, you know what, you guys? Me, uh, Apollos, Cephas, which is Peter. We're nothing, you guys. 
We either plant or we water, but you know what? It's God who gives the increase. 100%. It's God who gives the increase. Pray to God for increase. That's what he's telling the church. We're God's co-workers. We're God's fellow workers. And keep that in mind. When God employs you, God puts a call on your heart. God puts a call on your life. Hey, I want you to go and say this to this person. I want you not to keep quiet. Don't be quiet anymore because you know what? You're a vessel of honor. You're a vessel that I want to use to speak truth to these people. You're a vessel that I want to use to go and show them my love, to show them my grace, to show them my mercy. But then at the same time, never sacrificing truth. Never. You see how beautiful what's happening here? Look at how many churches we've seen the birth of all these churches so far. And at the same time, when we get further in our studies, you're going to see certain aspects of the church, certain things that started to creep up in the church. For Corinth, it was carnality. Carnality. You know, in the Galatia, Galatian church, what it was, it was a return to the law. They wanted to go back to the law. So there's an exhortation to the Christians, to the church, but then there's also a warning. Hey, don't go back to the law. Hey, deny these carnal things. You see, the same for the church today. The same for the church today. And Holy Scripture equips us, it sharpens us. Praise be to the Lord. So we're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, pick up in chapter 19 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.